my passion is that, you know, pets are actually good for humanity. I genuinely believe that and, and the mission that I have is about improving humanity one pet at a time. Join us as we chat to amazing cat explorers and experts, learn from them, listen to their war stories, celebrate their wins and laugh at the funny moments that have been a part of their journey. everyone welcome to the cat explorer podcast i'm asara and i'm daniel as always we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode so share your takeaways on your instagram stories and tag us at catexplorer.community and our awesome guest at rufus and coco usa and we'll reshare it in our stories we'd love to thank our amazing sponsors Superkit. we know that some of the kitties out there love edge style harnesses because they don't have a lot of surface area touching them But then other kitties swear by the vest harnesses because they help distribute the pressure points on them. We found that the Superkit harness was the perfect in-between. It has the vest front to distribute the pressure and the straps from each harness. Check out the Superkit harnesses at superkit.co. Today's guest on the podcast is a force within the pet industry. Annika Vandenbrock is the founder of the pet brand Rufus & Coco and has been recognized as one of Australia's 50 most influential female entrepreneurs. Annika has owned 40 pets and she has so much knowledge when it comes to our cats. She's a strong advocate when it comes to our pets and giving them the world. And I'm so excited to chat to her today. Welcome to the podcast, Annika. Thank you. Great to be here. Wow, there's just so much I'd love to chat to you about, but perhaps first we can start by giving everyone a bit of an idea of what Rufus and Coco is. Oh, sure. Look, Rufus and Coco is a pet care brand. So we're a health and beauty brand for pets. We sell everything from cat litter to elasticized litter tray liners to scoops to collars, leashes, harnesses, grooming products all sorts of products um, that sit in about 11 different categories. And um, we sell in Australia to the leading supermarkets and independents and all around the world. And I'm pleased to say that we're also now available in in the States and Canada. Wow, that's incredible. Um, When I was doing some research for our podcast today, I found out that you've had 40 pets. Do you mind taking us through the kind of pets you've had and the ones that you have at the moment? Oh, Sure. In fact, 40 is an understatement, I have to say. It's funny, I, I someone asked me that question years ago and I came up with 40, but it's probably more like 60. Um, so my first pets were mice, actually, and um, I got them about the age of six years of six, and they were absolutely gorgeous. Um, and we ended up with two, and, of course, we didn't know that one was a boy at the time, so we ended up from two to about 30 And I had the grand idea of um, my first entrepreneurial endeavour was, in fact, selling some of those beautiful mice with diamonds on their bellies and and foreheads to the local pet shop. And uh, so I went from mice to, at the same time, really, um, rabbits. And my first rabbit was a Californian Rex, which is a very big rabbit. And I loved that rabbit. That rabbit used to walk with me on a lead hop with me on a lead all the way up to the shops and sit with me at the back of the greengrocer's van while my father used to get his morning paper on a Saturday. And uh, it was very well known. Her name was Thumpina Max Factor Vandenbroek and because uh, oh. she was white and had these beautiful, you know, grey marks around her eyes. 
And look, at the same time, we owned um, Siamese Cat. Um, and look, we've had, that was as a part of the family. But today, I actually still own two Siamese cats. Um, and I joke with the kids about them being the firstborn and secondborn and be careful with your sister and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, like you, um, I very much think of them like part of the family. And and I absolutely love those furballs. And um and one's a chocolate point Siamese, one's a lilac point Siamese. But we've owned a number of dogs as well. So uh, the family dogs have tended to be Waimaranas. Um, and, gosh, we've had blue tongue lizards. Right now we've bred about 20 crickets um, and stick insects. Not Sorry, not crickets, stick insects. Um, so my, my son's on to doing that and selling them to, the, to his mates at school. <laughs> and, uh, and, gosh, what else have we had? We had a chick that turned into a rooster um we've had i had a rat at one point um let me think what else i've had uh well i had a guinea pig um and oh, i've had a number of rabbits so i've owned over eight rabbits uh, i actually really love rabbits who wouldn't they're such very little yeah. you know gorgeous people so so yes that's my uh that's my fur loving history <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. I love that you took your rabbit on a leash down to um like out exploring. That's um that's really cool because we've seen some like some rabbits can do some pretty incredible tricks. Like I've seen them jumping through hoops and stuff there. Um I think they're pretty understated. Every, people don't realize how amazing what they can do really. Well, they they're actually really great pets and and actually um I understand that, you know, even in apartments around America a lot of people have them because you can actually toilet train them and um and you know they're, they're just beautiful animals they sit on your lap and I'll never forget my big dad you know feeding the end of his yogurt tin you know to the rabbit while he was sitting on his lap watching the soccer you know that was uh so that the, the rabbits that we've had have very much been part of the family and we used to live in a house that sort of had the whole area was um sort of fenced off, if you like. So they'd go from the front yard to the backyard, the side yard. So they really had free roam of the place. I forgot to mention my turtles. That made me think of my turtles that I had. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. I really love that. Um, and I love that you've had such a variety of animals as well. Um, I also read that one of your passions is keeping our cats safe and the wildlife safe from our cats. And um I find that really interesting. Do you mind taking us through the impact that our cats can have on have on wildlife? Yeah, look, it's very interesting. Um, they are an issue, and um, you know, within Australia, it's estimated that we have 1.2 million straight cats. Um, you know, that said, cats actually can get quite a bad rap um, when it comes to their environmental impact. And there's been a number of studies, um, one in Tasmania that sort of showed that dogs have a much bigger impact on wildlife than than cats. And that's because dogs can actually pick up larger animals such as blue tongue lizards and, um, you know, larger native wildlife, whereas cats will tend to pick up smaller, um, you know, smaller lizards such as skinks lizards. Um, so, and I think the other thing is certainly domestic cats. So another study in Adelaide showed that about 4,000 domestic cats were tracked and they, um, they found that they only roamed within, you know, a certain, um, uh, parameter, if you like, or certain distance from where they actually lived. 
So they don't actually travel as far as um, dogs and wild dogs and other types of, um, you know, other types of hunting and hunting type animals. Um, but homeless cats are a bigger problem. And uh, that is why the pro we work with an organisation called the Australian Pet Welfare Foundation, and they have a fan they're working on a um, a trap, neuter, and release program to basically control the communities of um, wild cats, if you like. And uh, and it's a it's a really fantastic program because what they've found is if they can keep the um, the older and more mature cats within their communities and living successfully within their communities, it actually stops the spread of wild cats. And uh, look, in Australia, we actually, um, you know, it is a problem for how many how many healthy animals are actually euthanized every year. You know, in Australia, we have over the past seven years, there's been 107,000 cats that have been euthanized. In the states, it's 860,000 that are euthanized every year. Um, so it is a problem. And look, cats actually um, are, you can be hunters by nature. So for a domestic cat, um, it's a great idea to have a collar that has a bell on them. Certainly my cats have two bells on them. Um, very important that the collars also contain elastic. So if they get their, or, or a brake buckle. So if they get their head stuck on, you know, on one of the branches that they can actually get themselves out without, you know, choking themselves. Um, and, and I think things like making sure that your cat is well fed, um, locking them in at nighttime, um, and, you know, giving them something to entertain themselves, um, such as, you know, some sort of toy, um, will help to keep them inside and away from harming wildlife. Yeah, those are such great points. Um, yeah, and I've, it's been incredible because recently there's been a lot of those interactive toys that move around as well that kind of help our cats um, use their hunting instincts as well. So um, the, I, I love those. Our two cats, Lumos and Noxie, use those a lot. <laughs> and they look, they are great. And I think the thing is um, a lot of them require a lot of the cats' toys. It's great for the ones also that don't require the human contact. You know, like, and of course we, I mean, for me, you know, it's, we're promoting human contact because my passion is that, you know, pets are actually good for humanity. I genuinely believe that. And, and the mission that I have is about improving humanity one pet at a time because pets are good for our physical and mental well-being. You know, that said, we, we have jobs and we can't, a lot of us can't take our animals to work. And um, so finding toys that can entertain them when we're not with them is also very handy. Yes, definitely. I agree with that. And Nicole, I'd like to flip it a little bit now. Do you have any suggestions on how we can keep our cats safe when they're outside? Uh, um, well, that's an interesting one. Um, I've been very inspired by you two taking Lomas, Loomis, isn't it? Noxie? Yes, yes. <laughs> out about everywhere. And um, I, I have to say, Daniel, that I think you're – more the expert um, than I am in that regard because my cats sort of tend to stick within the – and they're older girls now, so they tend to stick within the parameters of the house. You know, that said, I live next to a playground and I'm very conscious of sort of keeping their parameters within the playground. And, look, I did simple things because Kiska kept on trying to keep, you know, venturing into the playground where there's like 100 kids and bikes. And, and um, so it was a simple thing like trying to teach her her boundaries. So I used to get a water spray 
and not look at her and say very loudly no every time she would go near that gate and that would sort of keep her within that boundary. But, you know, what you're doing in exploring with your cats, um, I'd, I'd love to know what, what you're doing to because I often think, gosh, they were on the beach the other day and I thought, wow, well, you know, how do you keep the dogs away? Well, that one was um, we actually picked a beach where there weren't dogs. So we actually do a lot of scouting before we let them out of their backpacks. Um, so we make sure there's no dogs around or if there is a dog, we kind of find a little alcove where they where we can just quickly grab them and put them in their backpacks. They're usually actually pretty good at jumping in the backpacks themselves once they feel a bit unsafe. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So those, their backpacks and now we've got a stroller as well, which we're trying to teach them as, to use that as a safe spot. So if they feel uncomfortable, they jump in there and we just lift them up, um, We've been very lucky. We haven't had any negative experiences where we've had a dog run up to us or anything like that. Um, but we, there sadly are members of our community who have had dogs run up to them, like off-leash dogs mm. on hiking trails and stuff like that. Um, I think a big part of that is having a contingency plan. So some members of our community are very comfortable with their cats going up a tree. So they've got some very good recall skills. So their cat will come down when they're called. So they will let their cat run up a tree if a dog comes near them or they will pick up their cat or they will put their cat in the backpack or the stroller or things like that. So um, I think for us, it's a lot of being vigilant. And also if we've got the two cats with us, we always have two humans so that we've got extra eyes looking around and seeing what's going on. Yeah, that's great. And I think you're right about the having that, safe space for them that they can return to because I think their instincts and this is one of the things I absolutely love about animals that I think as humans we forget you know to rely on our instincts and of course they're so instinctively driven that they will sense it before we do perhaps you know what's actually so giving them that spot that they can run to that's um you know it's fantastic yeah that's definitely and you mentioned it before as well that some of the some of the things that we do is about controlling the parameters. So, for example, scouting is one that we mentioned before and also keeping them on leash and wearing harnesses is another one where it gives us a bit more control in terms of where they yeah. go and how they, how they go exploring. <clears throat> one that came to mind the other week when we were actually out doing a walk was that I've seen cyclists do this where cyclists, for example, if they go barreling down... <clears throat> A, tr- a track they don't necessarily have this and they've got speed they don't necessarily have mm. the ability to stop very quickly so mm. they sort of warn people ahead of them saying watch out cyclists ring a bell so and so forth and so that's one that comes to mind for me when when we're out with dogs for example we might we haven't tried this yet but it's something that i just thought of and that it's probably worthwhile to warn the dog owners that we've got cats around too so that they can sort of control their dogs and make sure that you know everyone takes care mm. of everyone else so that it doesn't become a situation. Yes, that's it. Yeah, there's a responsibility around. Yeah, we had a gorgeous rabbit in the playground the other day that everyone was around. It was, and it was so well adjusted to sort of being in that open environment. It was just brilliant. Um, I suppose a bit like my rabbit that, you know, they do get used to it. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think um, they do definitely get used to it to the point that now, like, we're comfortable with taking Lumos and Noxie to a pub, which might be a little bit no- noisy, but I know that if they're uncomfortable, they will jump in their backpack and we can always take them out. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think oh, another a, thing that you've inspired we, me, I'm going to do the same thing. 
<laughs> it, it it definitely makes it a lot more fun for us as well. <laughs> um, another thing that I think um is important that we kind of tend to forget when we're taking our cats out and about is um the fact that we should have them microchipped and wearing ID mm. tags. And um one of the biggest learnings for me is that this is actually not quite common around the world because um I happen to happen to grow up in a council area where they did a huge campaign on microchipping your cats and making sure they wear ID tags and things like that. So it's something that I've grown up with, but um, I've learnt that it's not exactly the case everywhere around the world. Do you mind explaining why those two things are so important? Yes, it is incredibly important um, because what happens is that when cats do roam outside their parameter, um, some friendly human will come along and think, oh, who do you belong to? And be looking to return the animal, you know, to its owner. Now, if they don't have a collar, which is the easiest thing to do, have a collar with a, an identification tag that means that they can text or call or, you know, they can find where the animal lives and return it into the, the property or hand it back to the owner, which is preferable, um, then the next thing they can do is actually, if they're microchipped, take them down to the vet. And look, I'm doing this frequently, actually. I'm picking up animals all, all the time and taking them to the vet to, to get them scanned. And then, of course, that way, you know, the vet can actually find the find um, where the animal lives and then return the animal. What actually happens is if, you know, out of all these animals that I mentioned before that are surrendered to, um, you know, rescue homes, some of them actually have homes. It's just that no one knows where their home is. So, I mean, how heartbreaking is that, um, especially when, you know, there's such alarming statistics about how many of those cats are then euthanized um, when actually they have a good home. It's just that no one can find where it is. So in New South Wales, Australia, it's 62% of animals that are captured um, and cats that are surrendered, 62% are euthanized. They're unable to be rehomed um, wow. simply. And, and look, a lot of these cats are community cats, but some of them are actually domestic family cats that no one can find the owner. So please, please microchip your animals. Um, please, please get your animals used to wearing a collar, even if you say they're so-called indoor cats, because indoor cats can get outdoors and, um, and collars don't hurt them. You know, collars really do not hurt them at all. And we talked before about if they also get outside the, the necessity of having a bell. You know, I've seen um, this cheeky cat that we in this old house I used to live in and he used to get on the fence and he used to pick up the bell in his mouth and walk along trying to catch the bird. I thought, you know, it's so cheeky. But um, very clever because, you know, they've, they, it, but it is a real deterrent. And that's why I often think two bells, two bells are harder to put in your mouth or silence, you know, and that's, um, mm. that's a helpful thing for wildlife. But yes, yeah, certainly you don't want to be, you don't want to lose your family member because you could have done something so simple as microchipping them or, or putting a collar with a tag around their neck. I completely agree with that one. That's a very cheeky cat. <laughs> I know, so cheeky. I was like, you, I can see you. Get off. Yes, so very cheeky. Um, another thing that um, while I was doing some research for our podcast, I found I, I was really impressed to see how much um, advocacy you've been doing and helping people who are struggling to find homes, rental properties with their pets, because we've had mm. quite a few members in our community who've needed to move home 
either because they've got a new job and they need to move cities or things like that. And then they really struggle to find a rental property because they have a cat. Mm. Um, Do you have any advice for anyone in our community who's um, looking for a rental property with their cat? You know what I love about America and Canada is that this problem is not as prolific as it is in Australia. In fact, 60% of properties are advertised in America as, you know, allowing to have pets. And, you know, the owners basically pay a little bit more in rent for mm. having their, having, you know, an animal stay with them. In Australia, however, it's quite shocking. Only 5% of properties are advertised as allowing for pets. And, um, and it really makes no sense. Because pets actually do, according to a massive American study, less damage to property than children. Um, The landowners actually get to keep bond, a bond. And look, I'm really pleased to say that in the likes of Victoria, they've actually managed to change the laws so that it naturally defaults to people allowing, uh, being allowed to have a pet and then the landlord having to argue as to why perhaps that's not appropriate in their particular premises and I think that there are many benefits for landlords here because people with pets are very responsible people um, I think that you can't underestimate the the joy that it brings to the neighborhood of having an animal you know and and often like my girlfriend she in her um, her place which she owns she can actually have an animal because she owns it and no one else can they all share walking the dog so that oh. there's a lot of physical benefits and emotional benefits to a human from from doing that. So, but look aside from that and talking pure monetary, um, you know, there's there's longer tenancy for landowners. There's a lower vacancy rate, um, and but they have to spend about fifty percent the same amount on advertising to fill, you know, that property space because it's so in demand. So, um, you know, right now about in Australia, about 15% of animals that are surrendered to the RSPCA are actually as a result of people having to surrender their animals because they've been prohibited from owning them in rented and tenanted accommodation, which is quite heartbreaking because some of those animals are therefore not able to be rehomed. And look, being an animal lover, I can't imagine having to surrender my best friend. And when we did a push on this last year, and we will continue this mission because it's very dear to my heart. We spoke to this man who actually um, makes me oh, makes me upset thinking about him, I have to say. But he actually um, decided to live in his car. And, oh, I'm, I'm quite upset thinking about him. But um, he had decided to live in his car with his dog because he couldn't surrender his dog, you know, so he could go to work every day. So it's terrible. That is really terrible. I think um... – that just makes me really sad as well. Like I couldn't imagine doing that. I And growing up, we had that situation where we were struggling to find rental properties. And I know it's not the right thing to do, but what we would actually do was we would sneak our cat in because we, could, we couldn't find any other option, which, isn't, which also isn't the right thing to do because if the next tenant to come through that property is allergic to cats, that could be quite yeah. detrimental. So um, well, I've learned that a, since. There's a lot of people. So I've spoken to a lot of people so that, that – that person's story was not unique. When we sort of went out to the community and and heard people's stories, you know, that story was just, you know, was just magnified by thousands, you know. So it was just, it's just, but it makes no sense. It's just that people are, you know, basically doing the same thing they've always done. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I said, that's what I love about America and Canada. You know, you can 
fly with your animals. You can you can rent and have your animals around. In certain parts of Europe, you get to take you can go to a restaurant and eat with your animal under the table. And and um, you know, I think the conditions in where that we keep our animals now, you know, they they are clean and safe. And you know, we've um, there's this perception that they're going to wee everywhere or poo everywhere, but you know, they're like humans. They they don't um, toilet you know, all day long. They toilet at certain points of the day and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's just some weird thinking. So I uh, we would really love to see these laws change and we'll be pushing hard to um, you know, hopefully make sure that happens. Mm, yeah. Um we're definitely behind you on that one. Like after having that experience ourselves as well. Definitely agree. In terms of finding, I suppose pet friendly rental accommodation is I suppose they're a bit of a unicorn, but do you have any advice to anyone who's trying to find them in terms of how they can find them? Um, what what I do have tips on, so it's very hard to find from the outset, but what I do have tips on um, on our website, actually, um, do you mind if I mention that? Yeah, so yeah, go ahead. It's, so it's rufusandcoco.com.au. There's a section there that actually helps you to build a resume for your pet. And there's another section that has some really good statistics that I mentioned earlier in terms of why there are benefits to the landlord of letting you have keep an animal. And what I'd suggest is if you find somewhere that you like, that you do actually build this um, resume because people that have lived next to you before or know your animal and it's just giving, you know, put a picture in of your animal and it's giving the landlord you know, some more confidence that your animal is not going to be a pest to the rest of the block or, you know, to the to neighbours, basically, and will not, you know, walk in and sort of cause damage to their property, basically, which, frankly, you've paid a bond for anyway. So if there's any damage caused, just as you would if you spilt red wine on the carpet, you'd have to sort it out. You know, so it's no different really for an animal. So I think with some resources, and we've had some, we have had some good case studies of people that have done that and have had ma- have managed to actually um, convince the landlord to let them have an animal. And so that's in Australia certainly it's very hard to find properties with you know that are actually advertised as such. But I think if you can use your persuasion techniques and if you did quick tips and tools, then you are maybe in a better position to persuade them. And, you know, the irony is, certainly in this country and, and um, you know, even in America around the world, it's like over 60% of people own a pet. So it's fair to say probably that the landlord you're talking to actually owns their own pet. So if you appeal to their, <laughs> appeal to their uh, you know, better, better sense of um, pet person, then, um, then that might help too. Annika, you make some really good points there, and that's what we've done in our experience as well, where we've put together a pet resume of sorts that we've sort of got this pre-written out spiel of, you know, who Lumos and Oxy are and the fact that they're toilet trained, they're, you know, house trained, et cetera, et cetera. And we bring our own scratching poles, all that sort of stuff, so that they get a better understanding and sense of how we sort of look after them in the rental homes and the fact that we've been in so many different rental homes that we give them references and or sort of like links to where else mm. we've been, as well as the fact that we talked about before that it's an interesting point that you thought that Australians and people around the world love pets, that a lot of people have pets, yet 
we've got this disparity with the rental home situation. And so we've found that the people who are most willing to take on pets themselves are people who have pets. That's exactly what you've said. And we've found mm. that we find like-minded people who love, who have pets of their own. So like the recent place we went to in Melbourne had a, a dog. So Lumos and Oxy got to meet a dog from the other side of a window, which was um, an interesting experience for them. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it blows my mind that there is this disparity in Australia and that doesn't make much sense when Australians just love pets. But I hope it does change, and I know it will change with the efforts that you're putting in. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to move on to grooming with cats. The cats in the cat explorer community go out, and they do get quite dirty, but most cats are meticulous groomers. Should we be grooming our cats as well? I think it depends, doesn't it? Um I think it depends. You know, we've we actually have just opened up our first um, premium pet grooming salon in Mossman. We opened it yesterday, actually. Congratulations! And, thank you. Um, and we actually have a lot of cats booked in because people with long-haired cats, um, you know, certainly it can be a problem sort of maintaining them and keeping the knots out of from under their elbows and all the places that rub. And I think people uh, can be concerned about cutting their cutting their claws, and um, and so we do all sorts of cool things in there. We even do the line cut where you can sort of keep all their fluff mm-hmm. at the top and fluff down the bottom, and then sort of you know strip them all back. And certainly in summertime, that's a very helpful thing to also keep away the fleas and the ticks, um, because I know when I take my girls down to down south, because I take my 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 girls, so I call them girls, they're my cats. When I take them down south to um, Bundina you know, I'm always worried about the ticks when they're outdoors. Mm. Um, so I suppose not so much in terms of grooming them, but making sure that, um, you know, you're always looking after them to make sure they don't have any, you know, ticks or other, you know, foreign insects, etc., on them. Um, the other thing that happens, I suppose, you know, with my first girl, Kiska, she, um, there's, a, there's a cat in the territory here that um, likes her and often wheeze on her. So, you know, if that sort of thing happens or if your cat gets, um, you know, if your cat is outside and ends up covered in mud, then you do need to get it off somehow. So you can, if your cat likes water, and some do, such as Abyssinians and, you know, all sorts of cats do like water, mine absolutely hate it, um, then, then, you know, I think washing them is a good idea and washing them does not hurt them and I at, at all and I often put a rubber mat under the tub where I wash my girl and so it just gives them something that they feel they can stand on um, and and I put rubber gloves on myself to make sure she doesn't shred me to pieces and uh, we use the we use I mean I use the Rifts and Cocoa products because they're all natural and they're sulfate free and paraben free free from all the nasties have a hypoallergenic fragrance but also, um, you know, they're designed for the pH level of an animal's skin. So I don't know if you know that something like a baby shampoo can be up to 200 times too acidic for a pet. So you do need to choose carefully if you do choose to wash your pet what the right shampoo is. Otherwise, you could be causing dandruffing and things like that on their, on their skin. Um, and I always take into account, you know, where products are made and if they've got recyclable packaging and, you know, I'm, I'm not here to sort of harm Mother Earth. Like I think it's good to be responsible in that regard. So, um, 
So, and, and I often clean their ears as well. Um, like so one of my girls, she gets the filthy ears. I don't know why her ears are always so filthy, but, uh, <laughs> but certainly I find, and that's even with the two of them licking themselves endlessly. Um, mm. So look, I think for younger cats, there's less grooming because they tend to, there's less grooming needs, if you like, because if, especially if they're outdoors, they might be walking on things. You know, we used to have a driveway that sort of naturally trimmed their paws because it was like concrete or some type of paving anyway. But um, now that they're spending a lot of time indoors and they're older, I find that they do need more grooming. Mm, that's a really good point. I hadn't actually thought about that, um, especially as they get older, it might get harder to clean for longer hair cats, especially the the long fur. I think um, one thing that's been really interesting for our community that I hadn't really thought about before is um, a lot of the cats are starting to get tree sap in their paws is they're climbing all over the trees and things uh-huh. like that. And that's been a struggle for quite a few people to get, get off because they'll be on a one hour hike. And by the time they get home, the tree sap's dried. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. So um, I think, one of the solutions people have found is getting pet wipes. So not um, normal human wet wipes, but like there's special pet wipes and using that to slowly take it off while you're on the hike. Um, but it will also take some training because our cats don't necessarily like us touching their paws, especially when they want to go play while they're outside. But that's definitely been one that's been interesting. So um, you mentioned that we should um, look into what kind of um, ingredients and details are in the shampoo that we're using for our pets is there anything Mm. particular that we should be looking out for well I think you want to make sure you're using a pet shampoo so not a human shampoo because as I mentioned the human shampoos can be up to 200 times more acidic when makes it which makes sense if you think about our outer layers of the world being our skin um, and theirs being their fur you know, they've got very sensitive skin. Um, cats actually are much more sensitive than dogs when it comes to, like if you're using something like a flea wash, make sure it is suitable for cats because um, there's ingredient, two types of active ingredients that companies put in those flea washes. One is pyrethrin, which is the ingredients that we use at Rufus & Cocoa, which is extracted from chrysanthemum flowers, and it's a natural base and it's safe for cats. The other one is permethrin, and if you use permethrin flea wash on a cat, you will kill the cat. So you have to be very careful because their physiology is just so much more sensitive than a dog and obviously much smaller animals. And and I think use products sparingly. Like buy something with higher quality so that you don't need to use the same quantity to, you know, wash an animal. Um, the other ingredients that I mentioned were uh, sulfate and parabens and um, often they're on the pack showing SLS or something like that or they might say sulfate and these are actually really cheap um, uh, what do you call it foaming agents very cheap foaming agents and they actually they're the that's the thing that they use as the base in their wash Um, and as a result of that that's the type of thing that actually can sort of strips all the oils from the dermis and can you can create basically flaking of the skin you know, in the Rufus and Cocoa products, we use a coconut surfactant, which is coconut such a great ingredient now. And it's, I mean, it's, we use it in so many things, even our cooking, right? But um, something like that is very gentle and you're not going to cause any problem on their skin. Um, I think the other thing to be aware of is the fragrance. So we use a hypoallergenic fragrance that has no known allergens to an animal's skin, once again. Whereas you'd be surprised at how many natural fragrances actually do cause allergens on the skin. So you're going to get rain flaming 
um, red spots on the skin unless you're choosing something that, you know, has uh, has a, one of those fragrances. Look, I think it's tricky, isn't it, as a pet owner? You're like, oh, my goodness, I'm standing here with all these brands and how do I, how do I even know? Because, um, and you know, I know even the difference between actually products in Australia and the products in America in Canada because, you know, we sell into those markets, the claims that are made um, that, you know, we would not be able to make on our products in Australia because unless you can prove that things are true, um, you know, in Australia we've got legislation that prohibits us from selling them or claiming that. Um, so I do think it's a, it is a tricky thing to be able to navigate um, to, to navigate that and find products that are therefore have that can tick all those boxes, you know. Mm, yeah, that's um really interesting, and yeah, I've had that experience where I stood there in the aisle, in the pet aisle, trying to figure out what shampoo to get, and it kind of also reminds me of the same experience I have just getting my own shampoo. So <laughs> yeah, it's um it's very interesting. It uh, is. So I just want to touch on brushing. So Lumos and Noxy hate being brushed, and. They put up with it for a couple of minutes, but then it's only when they're happy in the sun. And this is quite amusing and shocking because <clears throat> Hasara's previous old cat, Tabby, she loved being brushed. So when we came to Lumos and Noxie, we thought it would be like all cats love being brushed, but apparently not. Do you have any suggestions how we can make brushing easier? Uh, yeah, look, I it's interesting. Did you start brushing them when they were kittens? Probably not as much as we should have. Yeah, I think that, I think, look, probably even if for some people that have tried that when the cats are young and they still just don't like it, there would be a small number of cats like that. But I think even with washing your cat and cutting the nails and cleaning their ears, wiping their eyes and brushing them, like I think if you're doing all those things when they're little, that becomes, that's so normal. And if you're doing those things when they're older, then it's like, hang on, what are you doing? What are you doing? They don't, you know, they don't like, often cannot like don't like it so um so i think so i think that then the best tip i would have is to start when they're young um i suppose when they're older and if they're liking it for a little while and then stopping i suppose it's just picking all those little moments isn't it and keeping it up um, yeah. and and like maybe treating them you know there's something you can give them a piece of chicken or something to to treat them um you know i do think that that healthy treats can be useful in that regard yeah, that's a really good point as well. I think um, right now what I do is I just try and pick those moments when they're happy in the sun and grab the brush when I see them there and <laughs> just do my best. <laughs> oh, may I add something, actually? Um, I do think that the choice of brush is makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So the, the brush that I have that my girls use is actually a molting brush. It's a rubber brush that has soft, um, soft points on it. And... They, they're so fantastic, um, Asara. You, is that what you're using, one, one like that? Yeah, I believe so. We've actually, I think we've got about six brushes because I've tried oh, really? every single brush out. <laughs> they finally, like, there is one with a soft one that they like at the moment. Um, well, Lumos likes it, Noxie doesn't. Noxie tends to try and bite it, but um, we're working on it. <laughs> So I think it's worth thinking about, you know, the different varieties of brush and, and if people are using the dog brush on their cat, you know, cat skin can be very sensitive and maybe that brush is a little bit too spiky. So perhaps try some different brushes to see which one your cat likes. 
um, without, you know, without blowing the bank account. And uh, certainly my favorite one is the molting brush, which is like a rubber brush that has soft pins in it because what it does is in a few quicks, you know, in a, within a few quick brushes, you're really getting all the dead underlayer coat out. So when I do it with my girls, I end up with balls of fur. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that is the one that we try and use as well. Um, and it works the best for us at the moment. Lumos likes it a bit more than Noxy. Noxy tends to bite it, but she bites everything. So <laughs> not <laughs> much we can do there. <laughs> Annika, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. Uh, just want to ask the fast three questions. First one being, what do you hope to see in the future regarding the movement of cats who explore with their humans? I think that all kudos to you two um, with your your two gorgeous fur balls and inspiring people like me to get their cats out and about more. You know, I think for me, um, I've been lucky enough to build new pet-friendly offices uh, close by to where I live. So I'll be buying myself my own backpack and taking my cat to work with me. And, um, and look, I think that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like I have a real passion um, for pets, obviously, and and I really believe that they improve people's physical and mental well-being. And I think that you know, often when people challenge me on that, and cats, they say, well, how do how does it help? How does a cat help improve a human's physical well-being? Well, certainly, being able to take them out and about with you. Um, you know, is it sort of adds to that aspect where you can actually, you know, you inspired me earlier where you talked about taking your cat to the pub. Like I think that's fantastic. Um, and and I think the tip is to, well, the trick I imagine is to get your cat used to that when they're when they're little, so that it's not so much of a change. You know, it's just like another place as opposed to, um, you know, a very foreign place that they're terrified of. And, you know, that's what I did with my two when I started to take them to Bandina, which is the holiday house. And um, they they just rule that house like it's their main house because um, mm. they're very used to it. That's awesome. And I think um, a huge part of it is also like slowly pushing the boundaries. So the first, like we didn't take our cats straight to the pub. We slowly introduced them to environments with more stimuli and slowly got them used to that as well so that's quite a big deal but I love that your cats go to Bundino like that's for our overseas listeners that's like a beautiful part of Australia I love that area Mm, Um, it is are there any cats or other pets out there that inspire you oh well, I, I love Catman too. I met him last uh, last year and, you know, with his um, skateboard cat and <laughs> and I just think he's amazing. They're amazing. Um, oh, look, so honestly, so many. And I, I think we're very lucky in that we're connected now on social media. And so you really get to see, like, it's, it's quite funny when I open my eyes in the morning and look at the feed, it's filled with um, cats and dogs and other animals doing the cutest things. Uh, I can't mention all their names right now, but there are so many. <laughs> We've had some Instagram um, dogs, in fact, into the salon this week, and, you know, they've just been the funniest things. It's been fantastic to have them. Oh, that's so cute to see. Uh, last question, what product, service or program has been a game changer for you and your pets? Um, one of the things I really wanted to mention here is people's choice of litter. Because all around the world, you know, people use 
clay and silicon and crystal litter that is actually, or even paper litter, well, certainly those first three, are actually stripped mine from Mother Earth, which means that they remove domestic, they remove the natural habitats um, that obviously animals live in, and then they go about mining for litter. And I don't know about you, but I just sort of think that as a toilet for a cat, it's ridiculous that we would harm the earth. And um, I'm pleased to say even paper, you know, it, it's recyclable, but ultimately it sources from trees. So I'm really proud to say that the Rufus & Cocoa Wee Kitty Clumping Corn Litter, which we now sell in nine markets around the world, including America and, and Canada, um, is actually made from corn. And corn is a crop that actually grows to maturity in just two months. It's also biodegradable and free from chemicals. And, you know, it's an earth-friendly choice. Um, in fact, it's so – it's the other great thing about this product is that it's also flushable. So it's eliminating household wastage um, because, let's face it, you know, your cat litter in the bin can really sort of add up and increasingly councils and communities are sort of giving us smaller bins. Um, so, I mean, there are other benefits from this product beyond, you know, beyond, I suppose, the environmental story in that they're fantastic. It's fantastic at trapping odour and I mentioned flushable and it's low tracking and, um, and you know, I think that, I think that it's just a much more um, environmentally friendly choice and something that I think is a game changer. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that people around the world are quick to adopt, you know, natural now. And I think um, certainly in our community in Australia, we've eliminated plastic bags, haven't we, from, you know, a lot of the shopping and things that we do. And I think um, so people are sort of being forced almost to make more natural choices. Yeah, I completely agree. And um I think we mentioned it briefly previously on other podcast episodes, but that actually, your wee kitty litter has actually been a game changer for us. So we used to um, go through 12 kilograms of crystal litter a week. Wow. Um, and now we just go through nine kilograms of your wee kitty litter per month. Um, and like, just imagine storing 12 kilos in a tiny apartment, which is what we were doing before. So um, definitely been a game changer for us and I think we saved eight times the amount of what we were spending when we did the mats as well so um, I won't lie a lot of swear words were said when we realized how much money we had been wasting <laughs> <laughs> that's such a great story thank you for sharing that and thank you for using it I appreciate it thank you so Annika it's been such a blast chatting to you today thank you so much for joining us where can we find you and Rufus and Coco Oh, look, it's, I'm so grateful for being on here. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, look, Rufus and Coco, um, you'll find us in Mud Bay Healthy Spot on Amazon. You know, we sell our grooming products into PetSmart in America. And on our website, you can also find all the, um, the our store listings. And, of course, we have a website as well that you can buy the products off, rufusandcoco.com.au. That's awesome. What we'll do is we'll put those links and any other links that we've spoken about, so the studies that we spoke about and stuff like that, in today's episode show notes, which will be available at catexplorer.co forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. It would mean the world to us if you could hit subscribe and review the Cat Explorer podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help us to continue to get some awesome guests. As always, thank you so much for being a part of the Cat Explorer community. That's it for today. We'll catch you next time. In the meantime, enjoy giving your kitty the world. <laughs>